The first is in 1 Peter. Um, and that's 1 Peter th- uh, chapter 3, verses 8 to 16. Finally, all of you who have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and sees good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But their face, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the righteous sake, you will be blessed. For have no, have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. And the second reading is in 1 Timothy. Um, And that's chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespected on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. People in our church, we pray for family members who, by name, for their salvation, we pray for our town. So, encourage you if you can, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can pray to you. And so, Lord, we come before you now because we need your help. Lord, that we might not merely look at your word or see your word, but Lord, we need your help that we would truly hear that we would hear what it is that you say to us, that it would impact our hearts and minds, that it would change the way we live. And so, Father, we pray for the grace that you give, that you would change us more and more, even through these verses today, to be more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. It's been wonderful as a church to slowly work our way through 1 Timothy. Because 1 Timothy, in many ways, is a book that keeps telling us it's a letter from God, a letter from Jesus about very practical things. This is how we are to live. There are many who want to just focus on Jesus as Lord today, but the Christian faith becomes very abstract. What does that mean? And they haven't really thought it through. It becomes abstract too in a way that allows them to essentially live the life they want to live, do church the way they want to do. But when we come to a book, a letter from God like Timothy, it's very clear. It gives us specifics. It takes this abstract idea that Jesus is Lord and makes it very concrete. Jesus is saying, these are the things that I'm asking you to do. And so it's a wonderful thing. And even though our two verses this morning are about slaves and masters, at first look, some of us might think, that what's that got to do with us? But there's a slide that will come up, that will stay up. But when we get to three and four, we'll see 
that there's much to learn there because in the end we'll learn what it means for us to be slaves or servants to Jesus and then also what it means for us as we labour in our own work and what that looks like. So is that coming up, Stevie? Yep. So you would have seen the word yoke and oxen, so there's a picture, so you can clearly see what that looks like. And so these verses are going to continue showing us what it means for us as Christians to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And so in the church, as we'll see, there would have been many slaves in the church in Ephesus where Timothy was. And he says, let all who are under a yoke, and there's a literal yoke, as bond servants, regard their masters as worthy of all honour. So that word there, slave, if you've got a lot of Bible translations, would actually say, let all who are under a yoke of slavery. So translations will go there. Some translations will have bond servant. And then I only found one that just had servant. But it's that word doulos. If you know Operation Mobilization, they used to have their ships that would sail around the world. They had a ship that was called the doulos. And that's what it means. Doulos means servant or slave, more literally. And so what does this word mean? Because we're reading here, let all who are under yoke as douloi. What does that word mean? Because when you hear the word slaves today, because of the context in which we live, we come with a lot of baggage about what that word might mean. And we can come into this passage with a picture of what the context might look like when it might not look like that at all. And so that word slave has some, that picture of those really brutal and dehumanising slavery that we know is part of the history throughout the world and time, but particularly for us as we've been taught about what happened in America and, say, England and through Europe, the Atlantic slave trade. And so reason I just want to touch on this briefly is to be clear because often we are told, how can you read a book or hold to the Bible because it condones slavery? Well, what does the Bible actually say about that sort of slavery? That's what's being applied in this passage. Because in that Atlantic slave, people would sail across from Europe, they'd sail to Africa, Central or Northern Africa. And there, what would happen, they would arrive there and they would take Africans who had been captured put them on their ships and take them back to Europe. But there was a number of stages in that process. Many of the African slaves, most of them actually came from other Africans taking captive other Africans of warring tribes, other tribes they didn't like, so as to barter or get things from the Europeans. So they would capture slaves, take them to the European ships and then sell them on to the Europeans who then sail with them to Europe to sell them on. It's very much like the picture of Joseph. Joseph's brothers sold him to the Midianites. The African brothers are selling their brothers to the Europeans. The Midianites then travelled to Egypt. The European sailors then sailed to Europe. And there the Midianites sold them to the Egyptians or the European traders to the Europeans. And some people say, doesn't the Bible justify that? Because sadly at times in America, people did try and use the Bible to say that that was legitimate. But the Bible doesn't justify that sort of slavery. If you just turn back to the start of our letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 to 11 is talking about the law of God. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law, God's word, is not laid down for the just 
But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, and now here comes the list, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Enslavers there, we have been told, is contrary to sound doctrine. The word literally is about man-stealers. People who go and steal other people so as to trade and to sell them is contrary to sound doctrine, is contrary to what God teaches. And that's not something that just pops up in the New Testament. If you turn back to Exodus 21, verse 16, we read this. God is saying this. Exodus 21, verse 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. The Bible clearly and has always condemned the sort of slavery where people are stolen or taken captive and then traded in and passed it on. The Bible cannot be used to support that sort of slavery. And when people make the accusation, how can you support You say, well, the Bible doesn't. There are tricky things as you read through the Bible as it talks about how to interact with slaves and we're going to think some more about that but we've got those verses and whatever understandings we come to those verses stand God has said to steal men and to sell them is worthy of death what Joseph brothers did what the Midianites did what the Africans in North Africa did and what the European traders did the Bible says is worthy of capital punishment And the fact is that Christian men like William Wilberforce actually led the way in society seeking to abolish that sort of slave trade. It was Christians who worked hard to lawfully bring it to an end. But here's the sad reality that many of us might not realise. The International Labour Organisation, who's an agency of the United Nations that looks into social justice, do you have any idea how many people they regard as in this terrible sort of trading, of trafficking of people and selling in the world today? It is far worse now than it has ever been in all of history. They estimate up to, up to 40 million people around the globe are caught up in this evil. Whether through the sex trade or through labour, through whatever it is, taken and traded in and are enslaved. So in our verses here, when we hear this word slave or doulos, what, how are we meant to think about it? As I've mentioned, in some Bibles we'll have bond servant, some will just say servant. This is what one biblical scholar says, in the New Testament it is best said that doulos is often best described as bond servant. That is someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years, except for those in Caesar's household in Rome who had to, were contracted for 14 years. And when the contract expired, the person was freed, given his wage, what he had been saved by the master and officially declared a free man. So that's probably where my surname comes from, free man. And so that's very different to the way we often think of slavery. But when you read throughout the Bible, a lot of slavery is like that, where people actually can voluntarily enter into slavery. 
either because they're trying to escape poverty, take me on, let me serve you, either because I'm indebted to you and I can't pay in any way, so I'm going to serve you for a set period. But the sad reality too is that many also found themselves in slavery involuntarily, either being captured in battle, for some they would have been born into that slavery, into that state if their parents were already slaves, but some also found themselves in that condition as a sentence for a crime. And so when we see this word doulos or slave, you've got to sort of try and pull all that together because it would be a word to all those people. And slavery was massive in the Roman Empire. Up to 30% of the population were slaves. That's how it worked. But this might surprise you when you think of slaves. Often we think of people who were probably a bit grubby, people who just did the menial sort of work. But did you know it was actually the accountants and the doctors who were often the slaves? People that we think of being highly skilled. Greek slaves were often very educated. And the Roman society had nothing to do with race. People just were gathered from all over the world. But the unskilled slaves did work in farms, mines and mills. So you could be anything from our language, from what we might think as blue collar to white collar and be a slave. And whether you're male or female, young or old, you could be a slave. But no matter what your skill set, even if you could say, I'm a doctor, you were the property of the person who owned you which meant they had full authority over you and your life. You were not treated as a person, you were treated as property. And so it's not surprising that when we read through the Bible, we find that the Bible again and again and again addresses this issue of slaves. Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, Colossians 4, 1 Timothy 6, Titus 2, 1 Peter 2, again and again, because a significant portion of the population were slaves. And so you could imagine Paul writing to Timothy, he's the church in Ephesus. If 30% of the population, or even more some calculate, there would have been a significant number of people in the church who were slaves, who would have been free men, freed men, and some who were masters. This big mix. And so the Bible becomes very specific. We get a picture here in our verse because it says here this sort of slavery is like a yoke. Yokes look heavy. If you're only yoke, you don't get to choose where you go. If you're bound by a yoke, you have to go wherever the person is driving the oxen to go. To have a yoke means you've got labor, you've got to work for them. And so this idea of the yoke of slavery is something that really you could, if you, if you could, you'd want to get rid of. But you are bound to them. But the other word that comes up in our verses here is this word despot. You've probably heard of that word and it immediately brings to our mind negative things. But it's translated as master. But what does that word mean? It's a word that literally means absolute power. And so the outside of this verse and a couple of others on slavery, it's actually the word repeatedly used for God. Because God is the one who has absolute power. God is the one to whom all people should obey. But here we see in this context of slavery, someone is like a little God to them. To be free to them would be a wonderful thing. 
to not have to be bound to them. So what does Paul say? Say the person you say you're the slave and the person you're sitting next to is your master. What does Paul say to you? What does Jesus say to you now that you're a Christian? So in verse 1 we see Regard your master as worthy of all honour. Regard your master as worthy of all honour so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. If you're a slave, the gospel is telling us don't go and become rebellious. Sure, you might desire a different condition, but don't start a revolution. Don't cause public disturbance. Submit to your master. Sure, you can be like William Wilberforce and go through the legal, the lawful ways of trying to change laws, but you don't cause disturbance or revolution. Rather, you submit. And so a Christian slave should be known for not being rebellious or stubborn. but to be slaves who display God's grace. You may be a master who's cruel to me. You may be a master who clearly just uses me. But the gospel caused me to show you grace and to be merciful and to serve you faithfully. When you become a Christian, you don't get to cancel all the laws of the land. You get to uphold them and to be faithful. In Ephesians 6, 5 to 7, we see slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Now whether or not we are slaves, this attitude needs to be what is on our heart as Christians. If you were to find yourself as a, as a slave, this is the attitude you should be prepared to display. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. And so we see there that if you're a Christian slave, your service to your master becomes your service to your master. And I'm pointing to the top if your eyes are closed. Your service to your master becomes your service to your master. Your service as a slave becomes your act of worship to Jesus. If slaves become rebellious or slack, God's name would be dishonoured. Christianity and the message would be seen as disruptive to society and destructive, causing people to become arrogant and proud and disrespectful. And the word's quite strong there. It actually says, don't let the gospel be blasphemed. Some of our translations have reviled. It's the word blasphemos, to blaspheme it. In your heart as a slave, you're saying, whatever happens, I want to honour Jesus. I'm going to lift the name of Jesus high, even if that means servitude. I will surrender. So rather than see your duty and your service on earth as merely earthly and passing away, 
As a slave, you're to see your duty as of eternal significance and of heavenly value and to work at it. And the gospel actually sets you free to serve like that because you know you have a heavenly master. You know your labor here is storing up riches in heaven. You know that your freedom is coming. You know that Christ is ultimately your master. So I don't have to grasp. I can be patient. And wherever vengeance is due, God himself has said, vengeance is mine. As we see in Peter, which has a lot to say about slaves, and it talks about slaves even being treated unjustly. And it talks about Jesus, who did not fight back, who stayed silent and entrusted all judgments to the Father. Your service to Jesus is to serve your master. Which means being a faithful slave, you're just as faithful as a missionary going to Africa. For that is what God has called you to do. But what happens if you've got a Christian master? Say, you're sitting there, you're the slave, the person next to you is a Christian now. My master is a brother or a sister in Christ. What then? Maybe you think this is going to be much better for me now. They have to be like Jesus. They have to treat me with lots of grace and lots of mercy. They can't be as harsh with me anymore. Which means if I start cutting some corners or slacking off, they're not allowed to be handed. Do you know what the gospel actually says and what Jesus says here? If your master becomes a Christian, you work even harder. That's what we see in verse 2. Those who are believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better. Since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. You look at your master, you realize in the gospel there's neither slave nor free. You realize in the gospel we are both brothers. You realize we are both equal before the Lord. But in this time, in this world, under this age, there is a master and a slave. And so though we know that reality, we uphold and be lawful. And Jesus says, love your master all the more. Become an even better slave to him. So rather than the gospel giving you an excuse to slacken off, the gospel becomes a mean for you to lift your game and serve even more. Because actually you want to see your Christian master prosper. You want to see him do well. Up to number three. When we read through the Bible, we see this picture of slaves and masters come up not just regard to slaves and masters. But it's the picture that's used again and again for what it is for us to serve Christ. We are, you are a doulos, a slave to Christ. He is your master. And so it's helpful for us just to pause and stop and think about what it means to be a slave and a master given. That is what we're actually called to be like as Christians. We are slaves to Christ. Paul starts his letters again and again. Paul, a servant, it's literally the word, Paul, a doulos of Jesus Christ. The end of the book of Revelations, it's Revelation, it's all the douloi, all the servants, the slaves of Christ who are worshipping him.
we come to Christ as our master. Who remembers what Jesus says? See if you can finish this in your head. Come to me all Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, there it is, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we become Christians, we don't become yoke-less. We become bound to Christ, we become servants of Christ. He is our master, but he's such a wonderful master. We know that the way he leads us and directs us is for our good. It's the way that leads to life. It's the way that brings us joy. As Christians, it is our delight to serve him as our master. It is our pleasure. And how couldn't it be because he is our servant king? Philippians 2, do, not, do nothing from yourself, from selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility give others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others, even those who are over you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a doulos, a slave servant being born in the likeness of man, which took Jesus all the way to the cross. Jesus says, whoever would be first amongst you must be your doulos, your slave, your servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. How can you not trust a master like that with the yoke that is light and easy that he'd place on your shoulders? Do you realize that you were once a doulos to sin, a slave to sin? But by the grace of God, we are now slaves to righteousness. We have been set free from sin. We were captive to sin. We have been set free so that we can serve Christ as our master. We woke up this morning as his servants, as his douloi, that we can serve him. And what a glorious master. The gospel does not set us free to live any way we want. The gospel sets us free to please God. Why is that one reason why that yoke is so light? Why? Because the law of God as a Christian is on our heart. We're not fighting against the yoke. It's natural. For we seek to serve our master. And in the context of these particular verses, the yoke of Jesus is light. What Jesus calls us to do is good. Do we not want to give him the highest honour? Do we not want to live in a way that makes sure we don't blaspheme the name of God in our lives? So we want to be faithful servants. We want to exalt the name of Jesus. And as we bear the yoke for Christ, we want to lift his name. We want to serve him all the more. Because he's a good master. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 21, there's actually a law that allows someone who's a slave, believe it or not, this happens, I want to remain your slave. Don't set me free. I love you as my master. We read about it in Exodus 21. And that person, the master, is to take, Exodus 21, 5 to 6, 
I don't want to be free of you. I want you to be my master. And verse 6 says that master shall bring him to God. And he shall bring him to the doorpost. Girls might feel this a bit more. He'll take his ear and he will pierce his ear. And that is a sign that I am binding myself to you forever. But why is a slave doing that? Because he wants to. He loves his master. Bore my ear. I never want to be set free from you. Is that not a picture of what a Christian ought to be? Jesus, I want to serve you. I want to be your servant. I want to be a slave unto righteousness. Never let me loose. Please never take your yoke from me. I don't want any other yoke. Every other yoke is painful and deadly and will kill, but yours is life-giving and wholesome. Take me to your doorpost, in this case was the temple post, and pierce my ear. And I think that has, well, two ways I can think of that, just not saying this is necessary if you don't read this in the Bible, but my ears are yours. I will do your will. But the other thing that I like about the ear, you can't hide it. Everyone will see what has happened. Everyone will know that you're a servant to your good master. So in that sense, as God's servants, may we be men and women who walk around with pierced ears. Where it's evident, it's open. I'm a servant of Jesus. And in the context of these verses, all this picture of being servants of Christ, douloi to him, makes sense. We've forgotten about it. And so that finally, what's it going to mean for us? If we are douloi of Christ, what's it going to look like for us as Christians in our work, in our labour? Firstly, if you are bound to someone under contract, most of our jobs are under contract, you're bound to them to offer your service. You're called to be faithful to your employer. So as Christians, if you are to honour Christ, you must do your duty as an employer above the rest. One person in their research has found that if there was a slave trade happening and there's an Everything would be made known about the person who said that slave's a Christian. It has been found that the price of that slave might go up 23 to 30%. Why? Because slaves had a reputation of being hardworking, faithful, committed, honest, people of integrity. Do we have a reputation in our town, Armadale, amongst us here, of being known as faithful, hardworking, men and women with integrity who are honest. We must honour our employers. Honouring them means that we don't join in all the bad-mouthing that goes on about the person who's over you or your boss. You can't do that. It means you're going to show them respect even if everyone else is saying they're not worthy of respect. It means you're not going to Keep going to lunch a couple of minutes early and coming back from lunch a couple of minutes late and stealing time. You're going to be honest with integrity. Those over you will know that you are someone who can be thoroughly trusted and works hard. And that is ministry. That is your ministry. To labour for your employers, for those who you are under, in a way that you're doing it as unto Christ. And as we do that, we keep the gospel from being blasphemed in Armadale. As we do that, we exalt the name of Jesus. 
That is something very practical, what it means. If you call Jesus Lord, that's what we must do. That's what that means. Your labor, your work is your ministry. And what if your boss is a Christian? Because there are people who have, when I was growing up, worked for a number of men who were builders and they were Christians. I'd have my lunch, my holiday work, and I'd go and be a builder's labourer, and they were Christians. I see one father turning around. What does it mean if your master, the person that you're under, is a Christian? Well, surely the same principle applies. You work even harder. You don't slacken off. You don't think, oh, he's a Christian. He'll cut this. I can slacken off, and he'll, he's, just, he's just got to do that. He's just got to not rouse on me because... Otherwise, you're not a good Christian. No, he can rouse on you if you're being slack in your job because that's fair. And so we serve our bosses with even more integrity, or not more integrity, even more earnestness. And be sure this was another thing we want to, from bringing those two things together, we want to be able to share the gospel, but don't do it on your boss's time. If it means the way you're sharing the gospel means you're putting your tools down. The God, your, your boss should come out at any point and find you hard. <laughs> if you can swing your hammer and talk about Jesus, that's fine. If you've got to put down your hammer to talk about Jesus, you've got to save that conversation for the smoker or the lunch break or after work. So honour Christ in the workplace and never see the gospel as a mean to be slack. Because when you wake up tomorrow, whether your work is to be a mum, your work is to be a dad, your work is to be an accountant or a doctor, whether you're screen printing on shirts, whether you're heading out into the orchard, whatever you're doing, that is ministry. Whether you head into the council, that is ministry. As you serve Jesus and you do it unto Jesus in a way that makes a Christian worker be seen as the best worker. One little line that I had here, see if I can find it. Get to it at the end. But becoming Christians, we should become better men and better women. We should become better workers. Becoming Christian, we should just become better and harder workers. We're not working to save our souls. The one who places his yoke upon us that's light and easy has done that hard work. We would never want to do that work because we could never do it. He has done the hard yakka that we can bear his yoke that is light and easy and exalt his name. One person wrote, I cannot work my soul to save that work my Lord alone has done, but I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. I cannot work my soul to save that work my Lord alone has done, but I will work like any slave for the love of God's dear Son. Let's remember we are servants of Christ, his slaves, his douloi, when we wake up tomorrow. Let's make sure we're not trying to throw off his yoke because it's the best yoke for us. And then when you head out into the workplace, whether that's at home, at school, in the office, 
remember you're serving him there too. And how you work there will either blaspheme the gospel or exalt the name of Jesus. I'll pray. Father God, please help us to put this into practice. Lord, forgive us when we have been rebellious and stubborn servants, when we have not been faithful. But Lord, help us to yield to your ways, for we know they are good. Father, we praise and thank you that you have worked in us through Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit that we might no longer be slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And so, Father, as you place your law upon our hearts, may it become ever more natural for us. Lord, that as Christ leads us with his yoke, it's the natural path for our hearts to take. And there is no resistance. And so, Father, please help us here at Chapel Street to be men and women in this town who magnify Jesus' name, who magnify the gospel by having labor in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.